this episode of the Everyday Story Podcast. I'm Ben Armstrong. Thanks for joining me. Last episode, we started a conversation with Pastor Jack Howell, who serves at Trinity Church right here in Norfolk, Virginia. Pastor Jack shared his story with us, and we learned about Trinity's mercy and justice ministry, as well as his thoughts on the pandemic. Today, we continue part two of our conversation. We talk about preaching philosophy, cultural engagement, and the season of Advent. Well, the next thing that we wanted to have you share with us is your, you know, your approach to preaching, your philosophy of preaching. I thoroughly enjoy all of the times I'm in church or online. I always come away encouraged. I always come away challenged. I always think you're very disciplined in your delivery, you know, with good analogies, good illustrations. So, you know, what's your study routine or what what's your underlying philosophy of preaching that that drives all this good stuff? Well, you're, you're kind to say that. Um, again, you and my mom might be the only ones to think that, but thank you <laughs> for that. Uh, you know, I think, uh, I mean, when I was growing up, um, it was just like be biblical. And, and so just stay close to the text. And then I got into the Reformed Presbyterian traditions and it was, you know, redemptive historical, you know, where is, where is Christ in, in the story? And then I went to seminary and I think it was like the gospel, you know, where can you find the good news? And, and I think, I think, I think for me, at least that was inadequate because I feel this burden that it's not enough to get to the gospel. I have to get to the cross. And, 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 I, and I believe that getting to the cross of Christ is kind of the supreme goal, that which I have the most urgency about and I have to pray for the most creativity for from every text. So, you know, Jesus on the road to Emmaus, opening up Moses and all the prophets, he showed them how it was all pointing to him. And I... Uh, I hope that I can do that somewhat. I mean, the, the good news of being a Presbyterian, of course, uh, is that you believe that the power comes from the word. The power comes from God's spirit and, uh, and not from the weakness or fallibilities. It's despite the weakness or fallibilities of the pastor. But I think I would feel deeply uh, ashamed is probably too strong, but not far away if I don't get to the cross. Yeah, I would be, that'd be very discouraging. Uh, so, you know, where do you find Jesus? And then where do you find the cross of Jesus and our need for it and his provision of it? I mean, I, I really do believe that I was given a great understanding of Jesus and his love growing up. And then when I came into the Reformed Presbyterian world, was given a deep understanding of just how extensive his love was, how eternal, how permanent, how one-sided it was. But then when I was in seminary, I'm telling you, second year of seminary is when I first began to understand the gospel. I believe that. Because uh, that was the first time that I really began to see that it's not just grace that brings me to Jesus, but grace that keeps me with Jesus. It's not just faith that attaches me to Christ first, but faith that keeps me 
with Christ and that it's all his work and that it's all to his glory. I mean, I remember where I was sitting when uh, I looked up in a book when I was teaching in Montgomery. I didn't know what the word imputation meant. And uh, I didn't. I didn't know what it meant. I'm sure I'd heard it or been told it. And, uh, and I started to cry at my desk in my classroom when I started to realize, I knew that all my sin went on Jesus. But when I began to realize that all of his righteousness went on me, that was, that was like the heavens opened up to me. That was my kind of Martin Luther reading Romans. And I was a Christian before that. I certainly was. But I, I had not understood the extent of his love. So then my second year of seminary, when I began to, to learn more about grace, more about the, the breadth and depth of it, uh, you know, I was like, ah, oh, I used to think I understood the gospel. <laughs> and the older I get, the more I'm like, I don't understand any of the gospel. And that's, that's all a long way around of saying, I hope that every week people get a glimpse of not just its profundity and majesty, but its beauty. And that's where Edwards has really helped me because I think Edwards' key insight for, for me has been just the beauty of Christ and that beauty captivates the human heart like nothing else. And that beauty is at the essence of Christian worship. And so the extent to which I'm not setting forth Christ is beautiful and our need for his beauty and our hope in his beauty. I mean, I mean, God's going to have mercy on me, but I am really in need of mercy to the extent to which I fail to communicate that even, you know, however poorly I do that with my limitations. Uh, but I, I don't know. I just find that, I find that incredibly captivating personally that, the beauty keeps growing, the ocean keeps getting deeper, the grace keeps getting bigger, the cross keeps getting bigger. My seminary professor, my president, president of seminary, when I was there, he used to say, when I was a young man, I used to love to preach about like the doctrines of grace and all this theology. And he said, you know, as I've gotten older, all I want is the blood. All I want are the nails and the old wooden tree. And I remember thinking that is the strangest thing to say. And, you know, and I remember it now, you know, however many years later, a uh, long time later, that that's kind of all I want. And I hope there is some of that simplicity in my preaching that it, it, it really does come down to God's first love, Christ's great work, his substitution, the blood, the cross, the tomb, the glorious resurrection and the ascension to the right hand. I don't know. Every, everything, everything else is truly secondary. One of the things that's interesting, uh, as I've listened to your preaching, you like to give away the plot lines of various movies, and you're very well read in, in a lot of different books and history. You talked a little bit about liberal arts. How do you cultivate that and make space for that as you're preaching sermons and as you're working as a pastor, managing staff, and you know, counseling people, what is, what is like a typical week look like? I know we're in the middle of a pandemic, but. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I've been, people have been telling me I ruined movies, you know, for 20 some years and I, and I want to get better at 
not doing that. And that's true of books too. Uh, what I'm trying to model there, I mean, I, I, I often try to have one illustration a week where I show some failure, some brokenness about myself. Uh, I'm very committed to never being the hero of a story and and I want to be like the anti-hero in that way. Uh, because what I want to do is say that this church is safe for sinners. And if you can see your pastor's trousers around his ankles, then you can, you can feel a bit safer with your own wound, with your own failures. And so I, I definitely want to lead with failure. I also want to model cultural engagement that's redemptive. I had a a church growing up that tended to think, um, you know, Hollywood was evil and Disney was of the devil and television wasn't far behind. And uh, this before cable TV. <laughs> I'm an old dude. Uh, but, you know, I, I try to watch one movie a week. I try to read, I try to read a book a week. And, you know, I find that um, those in it, I, I've subscribed to three newspapers. Uh, yeah, I try. I don't, of course, I don't read those cover to cover, but I'm looking at all three every day. And I think that, you know, keeping up with current events, trying to keep up with movies. I mean, I don't do a good job of keeping up with television. I know that television is like the cultural medium. Television is today what movies were for people my age. Like when I was young and formative, like movies were the preeminent art form because they took the visual and they took the oral and they took the auditory and they took the storytelling and they put it all in this incredibly immersive experience. You know, when you walk out of a movie theater, you're like, what day is it? See, I, I, I think that's really, really great story making. I mean, you feel that when you're immersed in a great book, you're kind of like, what, where am I? What day is it? I mean, that's when you know it's a great book. And television, I think has, done that now like television we're in the i'm not the first person to say the golden age of television and i i i don't know i just haven't made the time for all television um uh probably because there's, there's other cultural artifacts that i'm a little more interested in but you know i think some of our other pastors are probably a little more tuned in to, if you'll forgive the pun to tv than i and uh and I think what we're, tr what we're trying to do every, every week is give some cultural illustration of saying, this is how we build bridges to the culture. This is how we find God's truth, God's beauty in and through art. And I, I want to be doing that a lot. Like, it doesn't have to be a quote-unquote Christian movie. It doesn't even have to have like a nice ending. Uh, I mean in the darkest of movies and in the, the barest of fiction, I think we can find, you know, the echoes of God and see the hints of all of his wonder there. And I, I want to model that. Uh, I try to read a week ahead, try to read two or three commentaries on the text I'm preaching. I take all those notes that I made from the commentary. And from that, uh, I try to make a, an outline of what the text is saying. I mean, you, I've always been, my tradition teaches you kind of have to come to the text with open hands. You can't come to the text with preconceived notions. And 
Uh, and so you let the text talk. And uh, after it talks at you for a while, then you begin to get a sense for, oh, this is how the, you know, the exegetical outline, what the text says can become the homiletical outline. How do I communicate the text? And hopefully I do that on Thursday, uh, Thursday afternoon, Friday, well, Thursday afternoon, maybe a little Friday morning. Hopefully I'm just editing, editing, editing. I clearly need to make my sermons far shorter. My podcast a lot shorter. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, just trying to edit, edit, edit. And then, you know, Friday, Saturday, just trying to think of illustrations to go with whatever it is that the text is revealed. You don't seem to work from a manuscript. Do you have a manuscript that you use? Or do you just get so familiar with it that you don't feel or present yourself as being uh, slavishly committed to it? At this no, at this point, I um, I take a page and a half of notes, you know, 14 point times Roman. I don't know how many words is a page and a half of that, a couple hundred. And, uh, and I use that as a crib sheet, you know, so that I can glance and read the scriptures, which I have not put to memory. Um, but, you know, I, I would hope that the text is so deep within me and the uh, the outline is so committed. Our preaching pastor in seminary said, if somebody wakes you up at two in the morning, can you tell people what the big idea and your main points are Saturday night? Uh, so, I, you know, I guess I want to own that. Uh, I want to be accessible in terms of a delivery. Uh, I, mean, I, th- I think the guys in my tradition that write out their sermons and preach from a manuscript, they are far more thoughtful and far more eloquent to people than I. And so their every word really matters. And my every words wouldn't matter. It would sound like pabulum comparatively. And, uh, and so I don't need that manuscript because I, I promise you no one would ever want to publish what I'm saying. <laughs> and some of those guys, you know, they're publishable and uh, uh-huh. printable in, in that way. I'm just, you know, I'm holding out for, God's redeeming grace. I'm just kind of praying, Holy Spirit, please, please, please. Well, in the years that I've been uh, aware of Trinity and been there on a regular uh, basis, I, I don't think I've ever heard you do anything on a topical um, sort of in a series. Maybe there has been that I just haven't been aware of, but um, it's been pretty much a text, we're going to work through Luke, we're going to work through Joshua. Is that pretty much your standard commitment, or do you open the door for addressing topics in appropriate situations or at appropriate times. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to be zealous about that. Uh, I'm not a topical dude. I don't, I haven't found topical preaching to be incredibly helpful or edifying for me. I did a sermon series a long time ago on like the seven deadly sins. I did a sermon series a long time ago on the Ten Commandments based on a narrative pasture, passage of each of those Ten Commandments. Um, but I would say 90-some percent of the preaching I've done has been, I'd be just alternate between Old and New Testament books. And then within the Testaments, we alternate between genres. Uh, we try not to really repeat books. Uh, like, I think I've done Colossians a couple of times. There's a couple of that. Uh, I can't think of those. 
but I'm sure this um, I, I don't have a commitment that I would, before I die, preach through the whole scripture, but I, we just like kind of going chapter by chapter, verse no, by it's, verse. It's and, very good. Uh, yeah. yeah. We're going so, back to Luke. Um, you know, we're going to, I'm doing all of Isaiah for Advent. That's your oh, yeah. seg, seg to talk about ad, Advent in a moment. But, you know, we're just, I mean, those are going to be, you know, I hope textually bound and formed within uh, the, the broader contours of who is Isaiah, who's Isaiah's audience. I just think when you get people week in and week out, they get familiar with the book and they're like, oh, Joshua, 1400 years before Jesus was born. Oh, coming into the promised land. I got you. And, and that redundancy, I hope isn't boring, but helpful. But I don't know. I would yeah, be no. lost if I had to come up with cool, hip, topical, neat sermon things every week. I would just be adrift at that. <laughs> no, that's uh, that's not a boat to get into and sail for sure, as far as I'm concerned. I'm sure there but, are plenty uh, of people that do that well. I, yeah, I just, I don't. Yeah. But I Well, how about, uh, how far in advance are you planning? How do you coordinate with Ben and Clay? My, my parole officers? How do you know their names? <laughs> <laughs> I'd do a background check before we got yeah. into this podcast. Uh, I mean, we're, you know, big, big picture. We, we try to be about a year out. Like we're going to do this book for this time, this book for that time. I mean, we're, you know, I guess we've locked in. So we're, we're scheduled out through Labor Day of 21. Um, and I don't, I don't think I could be wrong. I don't think we have next fall's sermon series done but uh you know we the one of those guys preaches once a month and uh, and then on all sorts of special occasions uh, sweet clay is taking the sunday after thanksgiving and the sunday after christmas this year which is a real gift to me to my family but i i would say ordinarily i preach all but one of the sundays on a in a month and that's not because I'm a better preacher. I just think it's probably where I inhabit more of my time or energy. Mm -hmm. When I think about, uh, speaking of, of um, Isaiah and Advent, pick up on that segue comment, I wanted to talk about worship at Trinity, because I really do think that the, the worship emphasis is so healthy uh, there at the church. And uh, I love the the, the publication that we're able to receive every Sunday and, you know, just that opportunity to walk through the gospel, um, you know, and of course, Advent coming up right around the corner here. So Isaiah is going to be the focus, and, and um, so maybe, you know, what is it about Advent and the significance of Advent that you're contemplating as you're thinking about Isaiah, you're thinking about the pandemic, and you're thinking about Advent. How is that all working in your mind and heart in these recent days? I think that's actually that's another good example of how I have benefited so much more from Trinity than Trinity has benefited from me. It's like my developing understanding of the kingdom of God, like a developing understanding of the Catholicity of the church, like my understanding of mercy and justice. Among all of that has been a deepening appreciation for the liturgical calendar. And I, I certainly didn't grow up with any of that. And I wasn't even incredibly interested in any of that. Uh, 
So, you know, I probably came into that through the back door again, just thinking that's what downtown Norfolk was used to or accustomed with. But it took a while for us to really embrace that. And the truth is, I think I did that for many years, like, incorrectly. That's probably the most polite or the kindest way to say it. So I tended to think of Advent as all about nativity. And, you know, let's get excited about the birth of Jesus. And, uh, and of course, that's the upside down way of thinking about Advent. Advent for us that live on the other side of 33 AD is all about longing for the return of Jesus. And, and that return of Jesus should be, you know, our great hope in times like this. I mean, there, as, as we push, I mean, I think, I mean, Advent and Lent are both so incredibly important. Of course, Lent culminating in Holy Week is, is a more important time in the Christian year uh, for what that does for our salvation history. But in terms of our kind of day-to-day hope, I don't know of any better news than the return of Christ, than the return of uh, our long-awaited King, than the vanquishing of his enemies, the restoration of his justice, the rule and reign of his beauty in in all things. And that, I think it makes us secure. It reminds us that, um, that this world and its things are not all that there is, that, uh, that all the brokenness, all of the tears, all of the sadness and sickness won't just go away, but will be entirely redeemed. I mean, I don't know what else to give people except that that level of comfort, relief, hopeful joy, and uh, and the return of Christ, or when we meet Him by death first, you know, whichever comes first, and that's that is an, it needs to be an animating impulse for every Christian every day, every day, not just during Advent. I mean, there's this woman, uh, Fleming Rutledge. She's an Episcopal priest. And I just, I just love her. I love her. But she, she wrote this book. I mean, her, her great, great, the book for which she's probably most well known is her book on the crucifixion. But she wrote this incredible book on Advent that I use devotionally. I use it personally, devotionally. It's just a collection of all of her sermons. And they are just, she is a fantastic preacher. Uh, in terms of taking, you know, she was in New York City for a long time. She took the New York Times and then the promised return of Jesus and joined those together week in and week out. You know, Spurgeon used to say, carry a newspaper under one arm and a Bible under the other. And uh, and so, you know, there, there is no shortage of bad news. There is no outbreak of wellness and of healing on this earth today. And I, I'm, I'm, dying for advent Mm, that's that's awesome i think the uh the liturgical calendar and just thinking more intentionally about the seasons of the church has really helped me along with this idea of the story being somewhat of a a grid to kind of process the way that we read the scriptures Um, you know it just reminds me that we're committed to something very historic and something very real. You know, our faith is rooted very deeply in a historic storyline, and um, and then it's so orienting for me. It it gives me a perspective. You know, a lot. You know, like you said, longing for the return of Christ, and 
as you look at all the brokenness around us, you can't help but say, oh, even so, come Lord Jesus and, you know, right these wrongs and, and set up the kingdom that you told us you would establish. And uh, so I think the calendar keeps us fixed and oriented. And so I've really enjoyed that perspective because it's never been part of my tradition either. And uh, to step into it in recent years, to me, has been very, very helpful, very, very encouraging. And it reminds us that all time is God's time and that God's time operates differently than our time. You know, when we go into ordinary time, you know, just the normal green pulpit scarf and you know, you're just in this, this time after that incredible Holy Week and then Pentecost, Ascension, Trinity Sundays. I mean, you're like, you're at the top of the mountain and you're pumped up and then you have ordinary time for a long time. You know, until you begin to, you know, get late into the winter. We in the Northern Hemisphere are just so helped, I think, by the the alignment of the days getting shorter and our longing for the light, our longing for the sun to break out and break forth. You know, if I lived in Australia and the longest day of the year was December 21 and we're going to the beach, you know, Christmas I do think the comfort of summer, the enjoyment of those long days would impede my ability to long for his return, like cold weather and short days and the darkness all around really does. I know that seems silly, but for a tactile person like me, it's it's helpful. Well, living in Florida during the Christmas season was a different experience, <laughs> quite different than living in Fargo uh, during that time period as well. So, well, Jack, you've been really very, very gracious uh, with your time for with us today, and uh, it, I feel like this was just a rich conversation, great insights, and um, good recommendations for reading and study and, and just doing the work of the ministry. So I just want to say how much I appreciate you and the ministry and just the time that you have given to us here is is very deeply appreciated. Yeah, thank you for having me. 